Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of Study with C. Martin Podcast. I am your host, Shonda Martin. If you are new to joining us, the Study with C. Martin Podcast is the audio companion to the study textbooks and free online Bible study course. To access these materials, please visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. There you can access the online course as well as download the study materials chapter by chapter. Before we get into today's lesson, we're going to get started with prayer. One thing that makes our prayers most effective is when we pray according to what the Bible says. The scripture reference for the prayer that I'm going to pray today and the prayer that I will start all of these podcasts with is going to come from Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, and also Colossians chapter 1. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word and the power to believe your word. I ask that you would fill us all with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of your calling, that we may understand what is the riches of your glory and the inheritance of your saints, and that we may know, see, experience, and demonstrate the exceeding greatness of your power, which is toward us who believe your word. Help us to understand your word, Father, today. Help us to apply your word and experience your power in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get started with chapter one, which is entitled, What Does It Mean to Study? The foundational scripture for this study book, the study podcast, and Um, all of the study materials, is 2 Timothy, the second chapter and 15th verse, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The purpose of this book is to help you to study and understand the word of God for yourself. While you may have been saved for 20 years and may even go to church every Sunday, you won't be able to rightly divide what the Bible actually says if you don't take the time to study his word for yourself. During the Old Testament days, God commanded his people to obey his word and for each generation to teach their children to do likewise. Why? So that each generation could enjoy the fullness of God's power and protection. One thing that we need to understand is that whenever we experience the blessings of God or the power of God or see people experiencing the blessings and power of God at work in their lives, it is not because they just woke up and God just felt like blessing people. There is a cause and effect relationship with the word of God and how his power is at work in our lives. If there hasn't been any implementation of what his word says, if we haven't followed and obeyed what his word says, it's not just going to magically happen. If you have an alarm system in your house and you never turn it on, your house is just not going to be automatically protected. You understand that from a natural perspective. Well, spiritual things work the same way. If you never set your spiritual alarm system or or know how to activate that spiritual alarm system, God's power is not going to be at work for you. Now, unless somebody else is praying for you or or trying to activate their spiritual alarm system for you, um, a lot of people have said that, you know, they've gotten through life and gotten through many tough situations because their grandmothers were praying for them or their parents were praying for them. That is very true and that is very possible. However, the time does come, spiritually speaking, where you have to start doing things for yourself. And there comes a time where grandma's prayers will not be as effective for you as they once were because just like in life, in everyday situations, 
Your parents could have done things for you as a child, but when you become a man or become a grown woman, you are expected to handle some things for yourself. During the Old Testament days, God commanded his people to obey his word and for each generation to teach their children to do likewise so that each generation could enjoy the fullness of God's power and protection. Now, some of the kings that reigned during those times reigned for as little as a few months, while others reigned for decades, with some even reigning for more than 50 years. While the Israelites were God's chosen people, not all of the kings of Israel and Judah obeyed God consistently or even at all. Leaders who partially obeyed God, along with those who were blatantly wicked, would lead the people of Israel and Judah to follow their bad examples. Even if the initial generation under those leaders had some knowledge of God's word, as the people would continue copying the inconsistent or ungodly examples set by those leaders, generations began to arise that knew nothing at all about God. From decade to decade, under one bad king to the next, God's people went without the protection and power God promised in his word, which left many to wonder, if God is so good, where is he? Why doesn't he help us? However, when godly kings entered office, they would often seek instructions from the Lord and purpose to get the people of God back in order. Why? Because they realized the reason they were not seeing his power at work in their lives was because of their own ignorance and disobedience. The godly kings would teach and remind the people of God's word and tear down all of the things that had become bad traditions, which were the high places or altars where people had been worshiping false gods. And as they began doing what God commanded, they began seeing his power at work in every aspect of their lives. Likewise today, people all around the world experience sickness, tragedy, chaos, destruction, and harm. And people wonder just as they did back then. I don't know anybody who has actually seen or experienced the kind of power and protection the Bible talks about. If God is so good, where is he? Why doesn't he help us? Doesn't he see people suffering? But as we see with the people in the Bible days, anytime people are not experiencing any or all of the good that God promised in his word, it is because of the same failure to know and obey the word of God that the people in the Old Testament times displayed. But through studying what the word of God actually says, we will pull down the high places of tradition, ignorance, and disobedience that have kept us from having God's healing, protection, and power in our lives today. Now, I'm sure some of you out there are asking, why do I have to study? Do I really need to study? Isn't going to church enough? The Bible is not just a book of wise sayings, nor is it a book of theories, principles, ideologies, or beliefs that might randomly produce results for random people at random times in their lives. Rather, it is a guide for understanding spiritual law, spiritual authority, and the power of God. Spiritual laws, just like other proven laws in the earth like gravity and laws concerning electricity, are not subjective. They are not up for interpretation and they never change. They work consistently for every person whether you agree with them or not. Believe it or not, you've already been studying. Any person over the age of 15 has already been taught to believe something about religion, politics, the meaning of life, who God is, what marriage is, how the universe was created, and everything else. We are taught to believe something every day of our lives from the traditions and beliefs of our immediate and extended families. We are taught various beliefs and denominational traditions from the churches we attend or watch on TV. 
At school and at work, we learn from the beliefs of our friends, teachers, co-workers, and employers. We are also inundated with study materials on what to believe and how to behave from movies, television shows, TV, and radio talk shows, commercials, newspapers, magazines, social media, and countless other sites on the internet. If a person only attended church for two hours a week, how does that amount of study time compare to the amount of studying they have already done with all of the other influences they've studied all week long? Now multiply the time they spent studying those other things over the past 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years and compare that to how much time they actually spent studying the Bible over the same period of time. With that kind of imbalance, it's no wonder why people would have more confidence in traditions, worldly beliefs, and superstitions than in the Word of God. Now studying the Bible doesn't mean just going to a church building Sunday after Sunday to hear the minister preach a sermon. Far too often we sit as perpetual students with no desire to ever graduate, relying solely on the Bible teachers to be available for us for the rest of our lives to interpret the Bible for us. Years and years roll by as we look to the ministers at church from one Sunday to the next, at one conference to the next, and on one TV or internet broadcast to the next, expecting them to hear from the Lord, pray for us, and tell us what the Bible says as if we were the Israelites waiting for weeks at a time for Moses to come back down the mountain to tell us what God said. You cannot develop a solid understanding of spiritual law or spiritual authority just by reading a few Bible verses as you watch or listen to a 30-minute sermon once or twice a week. For any person to read the Bible in those kinds of nominal increments, they could learn a few scriptures, but they would never fully understand spiritual law never be trained in spiritual authority, and consequently, they would never consistently see the power of God at work in their own lives or in the lives of those around them. It's also important to note that studying the Bible is also more than just memorizing scriptures. How do we know? During their playtime, children memorize nursery rhymes that provide absolutely no benefit to them. Then 10, 20, 30, and even 40 years later, After learning Jack and Jill or Humpty Dumpty or Little Miss Muffet, many can still recite just about all of the words to those rhymes, yet their lives are not made any better for being able to do so. Likewise, when we reduce studying the Bible to scripture memorization, we reduce its power in our lives to have the same effect as that of a nursery rhyme. Now, would a person who wanted to become a skilled surgeon, a chef, a martial arts master, or an airline pilot achieve their goal by memorizing five or six lines from a textbook? Would they complete their training solely by passively listening to one or two 30-minute messages a week? Of course not. They would purposely set aside several hours a day, several times a week, to learn and master their chosen course of study. Just like the skilled surgeon, the chef, the martial arts master, or the pilot, we are not to remain as continual students. We must purpose to study in order to complete our training. And when we have completed our studies, we should have a good understanding of spiritual law, and be able to effectively exercise spiritual authority for ourselves and even be able to teach others what we have learned. With that said, when you study the Word of God, you don't do so passively. You purpose to study so that you can gain understanding. Passive reading is what you do in your spare time when you are not trying to learn something important, and there is generally no visible, tangible, measurable, or ongoing benefit from having done so. When you choose to study, you know that you have a specific goal. You don't just want to learn something. You want to master a subject so that you can eventually put what you have learned into practice and reap the benefits from doing so. Again, 
The surgeon, the chef, the pilot, and the martial arts master didn't just wake up knowing how to do those things. They each chose to study the specific subjects they wanted to master and put into practice. Sadly, many Christians have attended some of the best Bible schools around, yet their lives remain exactly the same, as if there was no reason for them to have gone to school in the first place. But why is that? While they may have learned a number of scriptures, acquired a lot of Bible knowledge, and studied church or denominational history, they did not have a good understanding of what Jesus actually taught about spiritual authority. Jesus, his disciples, the Apostle Paul, and others in the early church studied the Word of God. They had a good understanding of spiritual law and exercised spiritual authority as well. And as a result, they consistently saw the power of God at work in their lives and ministry. And if we as Christians are ever going to be able to do the same, we must also choose to study. So where do we begin? Let's look at the next section entitled, Taking Time to Really Study. Old Testament, New Testament, it's good to study all of God's word. Now you might be saying, well, let's get on with it already. I don't need to study all of the Old Testament. We can just study what Jesus did. Won't that be enough? Examples of spiritual authority and spiritual law are found in both the Old and New Testaments. Studying the entire Bible gives us the best understanding of spiritual law and spiritual authority, much more than we would have from just studying the New Testament alone. The Old Testament records the history of God's people before Jesus. It's good to study the Old Testament so that you can know who God really is and why he created mankind. The Old Testament introduces us to spiritual law by explaining why mankind needed a savior, what he was sent to redeem mankind from, and why it is necessary for us to apply God's order to every area of our lives. This section of the Bible gives us examples of how God spoke to his people, how they wrestled with unbelief, how they suffered defeat and adversity when they failed to listen to him, and how they enjoyed success and protection when they did listen and obey. Now, the New Testament records what happened after Jesus came and can be divided into three sections. The four Gospels, the book of Acts and the letters to the churches, and the book of Revelation. Now, it's good to study the four Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This section details the life and ministry of Jesus. Studying this section will help you to see what Jesus taught his disciples, when and how Jesus exercised spiritual authority, and how even though he was rejected and despised, He fulfilled spiritual law by being the sacrifice for our sin. This section also shows us the eagerness of some and the hesitancy of others to accept the gospel and follow him. Now it's good to study the book of Acts and the letters to the churches, and those letters include Romans, Hebrews, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and so on. The book of Acts describes the miracles, healings, and the ministry of the apostles and others in the early church. It also demonstrates what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus and how to make disciples. The letters remind us of the importance of godly order for our lives and ministry, what it really means to be led by the Holy Spirit, what it really means to walk in love and live godly lives, and what it means to preach the gospel in spite of being persecuted for the gospel. It's also good to study the book of Revelation for insight on heaven, hell, and final judgment. This section details what will happen before and after Jesus returns, the corrections Jesus told the churches to make before he returns, and what's in store for those who obey the Lord and for those who do not. How to study the Word of God Again, when you study the Bible, you are not trying to memorize a few scriptures, and you are not reading just to be reading. 
Rather, you are reading to gain a solid understanding of spiritual law and spiritual authority so that you can consistently see the power of God at work in your life. That is the main goal of studying the Bible. You don't want to just study for for yucks. You're studying so that you can have the power that God said you're supposed to have. You want to, you're studying so you can have the protection God said you're supposed to have. Sometimes as you study, it will be necessary for you to consult additional resources to help you to gain a better understanding of what you're reading. Examples include other translations of the Bible, study Bibles or concordances, Bible maps and other Bible study tools, Bible dictionaries, and even online resources. When reviewing different translations of the Bible, be mindful that some translations are not always directly transcribed from the original scriptures and can unintentionally be a little misleading in their interpretations. It's like trying to get the details of an event from a third-hand source. While the third-party fellow might have had some of the information about the event, their retelling of the information leaves out many of the important details. Other times, translations go a bit overboard in trying to simplify the text into present-day language. For example, let's say the Southern Friendly translation, which is not real, was printed to help Southern readers like myself to understand the Bible a little bit better. But instead of saying words like thee and thou, the translators use words like hey y'all. While substituting such words can be harmless for the translation of some passages, The true meaning of other passages can get lost and even be written as something completely different than what was originally intended. So when using different translations of the Bible, look at the publishing notes to see when the translation was published and what it was translated from. Some translations like the 1599 Geneva Bible and Young's Literal Translation, which happened to be published in 1898, are best for studying the Bible because they were taken directly from the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic text. So while it can be good to utilize more modern translations from time to time, always measure those translations up against the more direct translations of the original scriptures. Utilizing additional study resources will help you answer these important questions as you study, and we'll revisit these questions a couple of more times throughout the rest of the study course. First, you want to look at who was talking, who was the speaker. Was the speaker under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? And if they were under the new covenant, did they understand spiritual authority? That's very important to look at. Who were they talking to? Was the message directed to a specific group of people in the Old Testament, those in the early church, or people today? Was it directed to critics of Jesus, followers of Jesus, or both? Were they talking to people who were spiritually ignorant, people who should have known better, the saved, the unsaved, or all of the above? What was the purpose of the message? Why was the speaker talking in the first place? Was the message talking to or about people who still had to offer sacrifices for sin or for people who were redeemed? Was the message addressing cultural or style norms that were specific to that time period? For example, like acceptable ways for women and men to dress or wear their hair? Did the message establish new rules or reinforce existing rules for social or religious behavior for everyone to follow? Or was the message addressing the behavior of a certain group in a certain area at that particular time? Why is it important to answer these questions when you study? It's easy to become confused about scriptures or even be led astray if your only class for the week was a 30-minute sermon that briefly mentioned a Bible verse or passage about giving offerings or how women should wear their hair. Studying the Word of God 
means reading the Bible beyond the Sunday message, purposely taking the time to read, reread, and reread verses, chapters, and even whole books of the Bible until you get full understanding of what was being said, causing you to be able to correctly apply what you have learned. Some have misconstrued God's desire or his willingness to help or heal people today because they did not fully understand the context in which certain scriptures were written. Others have erroneously made denominational doctrines and religious standards from scriptures that only pertain to a certain era or certain groups of people. Let's look at a few examples. Example number one, using natural eyeglasses to try to understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-16 through 16 says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When you try to understand the things of God from a natural perspective, relying solely on what you can figure out with opinions, traditions, and human reasoning and your five physical senses, you miss the revelation of truth that can only be provided by the Holy Spirit. We see an example of this with Jesus' twelve disciples. On one occasion, Jesus praised Peter because he was the only one of the twelve who chose to receive revelation when the rest of the disciples tried to use natural knowledge to answer a question. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And that's from Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. What was the rock Jesus was talking about in that passage? That rock was believing and accepting the revealed word of God. Why did Jesus call Simon blessed? While the other disciples answered from their heads, Peter believed and accepted the truth that had been revealed to him by the Spirit of God. While anyone can read scriptures or hear scriptures being read, the powerful truth in his word is only revealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And whenever a person is established on that rock, On believing and accepting the revealed word of God, no power of hell, no sickness, no disease, no chaos or calamity will be able to prevail against the power of that word. Now, even though Peter did receive the revealed word of God on that occasion, 
Not long afterwards, we see what Jesus reprimanded Peter when he chose to rely on his natural understanding. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that's from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Peter and the other disciples loved Jesus, just as anyone would love a beloved teacher or close friend. Peter wanted to reject the truth that Jesus tried to reveal to him in that moment, choosing instead to try to figure out truth alternatives so Jesus could remain with them and be their earthly king. In that moment, Peter did what many of us have done today, relying on the eyeglasses of his emotions and natural reasoning, which caused him to conclude that what Jesus was saying must have been foolishness. Nevertheless, Jesus knew and believed what the scripture said about him, and he chose to believe and accept the truth instead of the natural reasoning and ungodly suggestion from his close friend. And it's important to recognize that what the Bible says is the truth. There's only one truth. There's not your truth and my truth. The truth is just the truth. Because Jesus chose to continue to believe what the truth was, the devil's attempt to hinder him did not prevail against him. Likewise, when we choose to believe and accept the revealed word of God instead of relying on the eyeglasses of emotions or unscriptural traditions, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against us either. Example number two, using Old Testament eyeglasses to determine whether or not the power of God can be at work to help people today. In the Old Testament, we see many scriptures that tell of people waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to send their help, as if to say to God, Lord, how long are you going to let me suffer? But under the New Covenant, we understand that God already sent all the help that we could ever need in Jesus. And as we study the Word of God, we understand that just as God is not sending sickness and harm, He is also not withholding His help from anybody. That's important for us to understand. By studying his word, we learn how to exercise spiritual authority over sickness and harm and how to have his power at work in every area of our lives, just as Jesus, the apostles, and those in the early church did. Example number three, applying Old Testament rituals to New Testament believers. Religious and ceremonial requirements given to the Israelites in the Old Testament do not apply to New Testament believers today who have accepted Jesus as their Redeemer. Many have randomly selected rituals from the Old Testament to create denominational requirements for various church groups today, as if God's power will be suddenly manifested in their lives by so doing. Some say, if you don't tithe or give an offering, God won't bless your money or help you with your problems. While those under the Old Covenant had to offer sacrifices in order to receive God's protection and power, those who receive Jesus as the once and all sacrifice for sin can freely receive all that God provided through him. And that's from Romans 8.32. When we take the time to study what the Bible actually says, we realize that no other sacrifice is needed for us to receive healing or help from God, not even tithes. Example number four, telling everyone to do what God only told specific people to do. In the Bible days, 
God's power was only at work when people obeyed his specific instructions for their specific situation. God did not tell everyone to go on a 40-day fast. We see that in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. He didn't tell everybody to take a bath in the river if they had a health challenge. We see that with Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. He didn't tell everyone to fill every bottle in your kitchen with oil or bake the preacher a pan of cornbread when you needed help with a problem. We see that in 1 and 2 Kings. Again, why did those particular people have to do those things? It was because they were specifically instructed by the Lord to do so. When we know what the Bible really says, we know that when we pray, we know that God has heard us and has provided a specific answer for our specific situation. So when we look at people in the Bible, we have to study to follow their obedience to God and not copy their actual actions. Example number five, applying corrective instructions to everybody in the class. In his letters to those in the early church, the Apostle Paul said that women are to remain silent in the church and that he would not permit a woman to teach men. Now people have misapplied these scriptures and taken them to mean that Paul did not approve of women to be teachers or preachers in the church. But that is not what Paul meant. And we know this by taking the time to actually study all of Paul's messages. While Paul's letters were read throughout all of the New Testament churches, this portion of these letters was directed specifically to those at the churches in Corinth, Ephesus, and those like them. Because the people in those cities previously worshipped other gods, they were used to following a different order in their daily lives. They knew very little about applying God's order in their daily lives and had no understanding of how obeying God's order affected spiritual law. Remember, the Israelites had been taught to follow God's word and apply his order in their daily lives for centuries before Jesus came. Those in the New Testament churches, however, had only recently received the gospel. And while they had heard the message of salvation and had even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they still needed much correction and direction in applying godly order to their lives. In instructing a young disciple leader named Timothy, Paul said, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And we see that from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In newly established churches like those in Corinth and Ephesus, there was disorder in their church gatherings, where women would shout out across the room, hindering others from hearing and understanding what was being said or taught. In correcting them, Paul reminded them that everything in the church should be done decently and in order, as God is not the author of chaos and confusion. Furthermore, Paul reminded Timothy that no one who is a novice, inexperienced, or otherwise not properly trained in the things of God should be in a place of leadership, and that included those disorderly women, as they would not set a good example for anyone else to follow. Now to see more about that, just read the whole book of 1 Timothy yourself. Now because the women in these churches were continually causing disorder in the services, we can see that Paul was not talking about all women It was these particular women who needed to remain silent in the church and were not yet permitted to teach others. So when we study these letters, we learn that we don't need to establish a new doctrine. Rather, we can see how applying God's directions can help us to maintain order in our lives and ministries. With these examples, 
You can see how easy it is to misapply scriptures when you don't study to know more about why the message was written in the first place. Even though the messages may have been written from different perspectives or to address certain people, specific situations, cultural norms, or other issues, look at the overall picture. Look at the state of their lives prior to receiving God's word and how their lives were made better as a result of applying his word and making correction. Doing so will help us to also receive instruction for ourselves, make correction, and live godly lives. Again, if you cannot determine the answers to the study questions from reading one verse, one passage, or one chapter, pray for clarity and study that section again and again until you do. Many of the books in the Bible should be read completely at a time, especially the books and the letters in the New Testament. Why? The letters were meant to be read to the congregations in their entirety, just as they had been written, so the listeners could hear all of what the writer had to say. You wouldn't take a letter that your mother wrote you and read it one sentence at a time, one month at a time, would you? Of course not. You would read the entire letter in one sitting, as reading one sentence a week might leave you confused. Likewise, when you read a verse or passage of scripture alone, it's easy to take phrases and sentences out of context and come up with something that is completely opposite of what was intended. But when you take the time to read a complete section or book in the Bible, you can better understand what the writer actually said and meant. All right, well, that's a wrap with chapter one. Hope you enjoyed yourself today with our study in the word. If you don't already have the study materials, again, please go to the website, studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online Bible study course where you can access the study materials and download them chapter by chapter. And as you complete each part of the course, you actually receive a certificate. There are five course parts. And when you complete each course part, you will receive a certificate of completion. And when you complete all five course parts, you'll receive a certificate of achievement. No, we're not accredited or affiliated with any particular Bible institution. More important than church or denominational affiliation or backing by a particular institution, all of our material is founded in the Word of God and can be backed up with the Word of God in context, which is what will help you to see God's power consistently at work in your everyday life. So when you finish the study course, you won't say that you just took another Bible study class or you got some general Bible learning. My goal is for you to be able to say with confidence that you understand what the Bible says and can actually consistently apply spiritual law, spiritual authority, and man's dominion so that you can see God's power consistently at work in your everyday life. Again, that's more important than just having a certificate or having any kind of religious affiliation. My goal is for you to see God's power at work in your life. And having a certificate is just some extra icing on the cake to give you a little bit of encouragement as you go along. Because as you will see, as we continue to go through this material, there is no fluff material here. You will be doing some studying. The study material covers 18 chapters. These initial chapters, they set a good foundation to give you an introduction into the word of God. But as we go further along, you're going to get into some study. We're going to read some scripture. We're going to study some scriptures so that you can know the word of God for yourself and see his power at work in your life for yourself. So there you go. 
Again, you can register for the free online course and access all of the free study materials by visiting us at studywithcmartin.com. If you have any questions, comments, positive feedback about the podcast, email us at contact at studywithcmartin.com. Leave us a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash studywithcmartin or message us on Facebook or Instagram at studywithcmartin or on Twitter at studywithcmart. Thanks again for joining us. I've been your host, Shonda Martin, and I look forward to spending time with you in the Word of God again next time on the Study with C. Martin podcast. Have a great day.